Hey, welcome to Wayfair, where loves come to town, and podcasts. In the midst of the slurry of sound bites, this podcast is like anti-media. It's filled with gaps and places for you to join in and respond. It's like a fruit basket for your soul. You know, one with those where the fruit is cut up like flowers and whatnot? It's only half finished on its own, though. It needs you to be complete. Now together we'll explore a variety of spiritual practices, old and new, from Lectio Divina to guided prayers and meditations. And each day of the week, we'll focus on a particular attitude or spiritual posture. Today, we're focusing on liberation, allowing ourselves to release ways of thinking and being that keep us from life and community. Now, throughout the podcast, you'll encounter a variety of voices and even be invited to participate. There will be places for you to respond in prayers and readings and songs. So join in as you feel led, unless you're still working on that fruit basket. Hey, go easy on the cantaloupe. So listen to your heart. Be attentive to the spark of the divine within you as we journey together. Hello, this is Mary Catherine. Will you pray with me? I will pray a line and then pause a moment for you to respond with this phrase, you welcome us home. After each line, you can respond with, you welcome us home. Now let's pray together. Though we've taken your gifts for granted, Though we've ignored our sisters, though we've forgotten our brothers, though we've run far away, though we've hoarded possessions, though we've forgotten our names, Though we long for what's easy, though we're still a long way off, you welcome us home. Amen.
continue thinking about unlearning worry. Okay. We're talking with right. our pastor, yeah. Mark Johnson. All right, so you ready to go? Mm-hmm. I have, as we begin, a reading from Thomas Merton's New Seed of Contemplation. At the end of chapter 2, he writes, In the end, the contemplative suffers the anguish of realizing that he or she no longer knows what God is. He or she may or may not mercifully realize that, after all, this is a great gain because God is not a what, not a thing. This is precisely one of the essential characteristics of contemplative experience. It sees that there is no what that can be called God. There is no such thing as God because God is neither a what nor a thing, but a pure who. God is thou, before whom our inmost eye springs into awareness. God is the I am, before whom with our own personal and inalienable voice we echo, I am. One of the things that I take this passage to mean is how I experience the personhood of God. Let's say, for example, that you and I had never met before. And before we had our first personal encounter, I heard all these things about you. But if I have a lot of negative preconceptions about you, it's going to really inhibit the ability for us to begin a conversation because I'm going to have to strip away a lot of those preconceived notions if you're not confirming them for me. And if you are confirming those preconceived notions for me, I'm simply going to stay with that idea I had as I walked into the conversation to begin with. Well, there, there's an illustration. I can see why people call you that name or why people have that perspective about you. It would take so much work to get out of what I thought you were about to truly encounter and know you for who you are. And when we come to God, there is so much preconceived understandings, misunderstandings, prejudices, biases that we have, that we think we know what God is, that it's very hard for us to truly encounter God because of all the ways in which we have to break down what my parents told me about God or what my church has always said about God or the church that I no longer am a part of, but I was there as a child and I just never felt that what they were saying about God was who God was, but I never really know who God is now. And it, it gets very confusing. And, and Merton reminds us that God is neither a what nor a thing. God is not a set of doctrines. God is not the the heritage that I've always heard about God, because God cannot be reduced to simply that story. 
that story may introduce me to God, but that story cannot completely encapsulate all that God is. To enter into a spiritual practice in many ways begins with an experience of emptiness, a willingness to let go of all the preconceived assumptions and to simply sit in the presence of God and to allow my picture of God to be reformed in a way that would be like a a personal encounter Mm. where I really get to know that person for who they are, not for what I thought they were or what I was told they were about or the preconceived notions I had about them, but I really come to this place of, of getting to know the real being um, these images that we have of God, we, the, you know, intellectually, I no longer, I no longer hold those beliefs intellectually anymore. But they're still rooted deeply within me. Whether or not somebody necessarily explicitly told me these were formed within me, you know, how do we, how do we let those go yeah. enough to yeah. even begin begin that? Sometimes it's hard to even know. These are beyond conscious thought a lot of times, you know. Right. Um, so it's it's not a it's not a blind searching after God. It doesn't have to be at least. Um, and places where I've been able to have a more positive, appreciative view of God have have come in a few sources. Uh, the first is to focus on the doctrine of Jesus as the full revelation of God. And oftentimes, by looking at the picture of God that Jesus presents through parables, through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, through the advocacy of this kind benevolence that cares for us, that that Jesus always maintained, uh, it helps form for me a more positive view of God, a, a God who is as much for me as a God who is certainly not against me, but against those things that are less than me. And, and so the first place where I gain a very positive uh, and, and warm and attractive uh, picture of God that, that draws me uh, is through the witness of Jesus and to truly listen to what is Jesus saying about the, the father who sees the prodigal come from a long distance after taking all the family wealth and squalling it and, and running with eager anticipation to come and, and to embrace. Or, or the, the God who uh, stands with uh, righteous indignation against the crowd that throws the woman caught in adultery at Jesus' feet and says it's time to condemn her. And, and Jesus turns that around and literally condemns their righteousness and their sanctimoniousness and their oppression and lifts her up and, and fills her with dignity and fills her with a sense of, of worth. Um, and, and Jesus persistently offers this God who cares for the outcast or the vulnerable or the hurting or the lonely or the despondent. And, uh, and if that is who God is, as revealed by Jesus, then that is exactly the who that I want to have in relationship. And, and so 
it is a Christian confession that Jesus fully reveals the person of God and reveals it in a way that is superior to the instruction that I have been given at times by my past or by others uh, or by my culture. Um, Jesus presents to me a liberating picture of God that warms me. Then another place that as I've just gone through different times of reading and reflection, um, I have been helped by good theology. And in college, uh, I read uh, a lot of C.S. Lewis. I read a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But then as I went into seminary, uh, I read some other uh, folks like Paul Tillich. Uh, that was very helpful for me to re revision, reimagine the picture of God. And, and Thomas Merton that I read this passage from today um, was a, a, another voice uh, a Roman Catholic voice that helped me see God in, in new lights and new perspectives with new depth. Um, as I continued uh, reading other folks and, and doing the doctoral stuff at Lexington Theological Seminary, um, I tried to read uh, the picture of God from the vantage point of a woman. And I read uh, a lot of uh, Marjorie Suhaki, uh, Roberta Bondi, um, Catherine Norris, uh, Anne Lamont, and, and that opened up new vistas of, of thinking about who God might be from a different perspective. Um, lately, um, I've been trying to think about God from the vantage point of the oppressed, um, uh, minorities, uh, people in the developing world, uh, Gustav Guterres with uh, a, a more liberation kind of perspective that really grows out of another person I read in seminary, which was Jürgen Bultmann, um, and, and thinking about the picture of God from the African-American perspective, uh, Howard Thurman, Frederick Douglass, um, and, and really having a, a, another new vista. Now, all of these pictures um, have enriched my life, but they still cannot reduce God in terms of a, a more immediate experience. And this is the contemplative part, which basically means benefited by these understandings that, that God is a God who is for us, not against us. I sit in the simple silence that is a, a sacred opportunity to what I sometimes think of as being bathed in grace or uh, sitting in the light of love and just be ready to encounter God in a, in a more personal way. So really, you might even think about all these other preparations as uh, a, a way of getting out of negative understandings about the presence of God or who God is or the character identity of God, and then clearing the decks, and then simply saying, I am here available, God, to encounter you. It feels like the the process that we've been talking about of unlearning <clears throat> and steady progress and make little changes over time so that we are unlearning and stripping away those things. And then that creates this, this space for, for new growth. What do we do with this to, to fit into Lenten practice then? Well, you know, the, the mystery that we're living into and, and 
the story of the 40 days of Lent, Holy Week, Good Friday, and Resurrection is the the, the continual uh, practice of dying and rising, of letting go and to be trite, letting God, of taking our life and unwinding it, of unpacking it, of analyzing it, and and even eventually to erase it in order to provide new space for for God to be um, to be a God of of resurrection. Um, self-denial is not just self-debasement, it's self-renewal. It's by giving up that I am ultimately gaining. And the mystery that we're called into is um, by not having to be the one who is perpetually maintaining uh, my own dignity, as however I define that. Uh, I am allowing God to claim that space and to renew me with a deeper sense of dignity, um, a, a deeper definition of, of my place as a created being in God's love. So this, is, is, this isn't, this isn't an, er, an erasure of self? Never. No, it's a rediscovery of self. The deeper self, the truer self, the the self that God delights in, the the, the self that God has created. Um, you know, God has made us, uh, and we have all these layers and coatings of of things that have denied that image that is within us, out of fear, out of suspicion, um, out of bad experiences, uh, sometimes bad parenting, um, uh, out of pain out of embarrassment as a child. We put all these layers on top of the, being, the good being that God has created. And, and redemption, in part, is reclaiming that image that God delights in and delights in us in. And, and that's part of what Jesus comes to free in us, is, is a, a, you know, a deeper, truer uh, sense of the true self. And what we have somehow, out of uh, years of living, uh, have become in love with a false self. You know, think about why is, or why are children uh, so more quickly to, to notice the presence of God? And are oftentimes uh, far more uh, available to the power of God in their life. And we call it innocence. But really... What we're talking about is all the junk that happens through life, uh, kids making fun of us or us you know, feeling somehow embarrassed about uh, something about our nature. And over time, these things begin to pile up to the point where we don't even know our true self anymore. Hmm. And, um, and that's not the self that God delights in. Hmm. The, the marred image that the world has put upon us um, 
is something we too often own as our identity rather than the true identity of God's love for us. So this can be this can be a scary place to enter into sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, for me, um because even though this may be a false self that we're letting go of, um there's some security in that. I mean, it's there for a reason. So you know, how do we enter into this this practice um, of, you know, what's a what's a way to to get our feet into the water to begin this practice of sitting in God's glow and, and being with Him? Well, you know, with with everything, we don't have to uh, do it in one big fell swoop. Um, it is a process, and it's a process that we may gain more comfortableness with as we practice. Let me give you an example. When I first started practicing silence, five minutes would be tops. You know, that, I would be on to something else at minute number six. And um, through carving out space at particular times, I found that to sit an hour or two hours or, or a whole morning is possible. Um, and your mind will drift. Your mind will, you know, not always be focused on bathing in grace or whatever I said. Um, but it's it's something that you gain some um, uh, some competency in as you practice it. So, so I would just suggest, you know, put out on your timer 10 minutes on your, your uh, countdown timer on your cell phone and then uh, even to have a, a, a phrase... Uh, that you would repeat, uh, God is love and God loves me, or to focus on your breathing, um, breathing in love, breathing out worry, anxiety, shame, um, and and just to constantly breathe in grace and and breathe out uh, worry, uh, to to breathe in forgiveness. Uh, to breathe out shame or guilt. Um, and even if you do that for five minutes, um, eventually it'll become more and more of a, of a comfortable space and, and something you may stretch to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Um, the, the key is to identify times when you can actually commit that, that practice. Um, and, and then you're on the road of being a contemplative. And, uh, you know, they would, I would think that those that have done this for any length of time would suggest this is a lifelong journey. It's, it's not a check mark. You're not getting approval. You're not looking toward graduation. Um, uh, you are living into the, uh, the eternal that claims you, and uh, if it is an eternal um, identity of love, then you can't exhaust in something that's an infinite. You're there already. You're there already. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and try this practice now. We'll take a few minutes and play some quiet music while you have some time to be quiet with God.
You may want to focus on your breath like Mark suggested, breathing in grace and breathing out worry. Or you may just want to be still. Your mind will wander, that's what minds do after all. But when you notice the wandering, just bring your mind back to center again on your breath or on your attentiveness to God. I'll close us in prayer after a few minutes. Let's pray. Boundless God, you are better than we can hope or imagine. Remake us in your love. Draw out our true selves into your light. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, we're collecting Beatitudes. You know, the sayings of Jesus we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Who would Jesus call blessed today? Write your own Beatitude and call it in. Just leave a message at 859-813-0150. That's 859-813-0150. Or you can find the number in our show notes for the day. Wayfarer is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. A loving, healthy, and progressive gathering of Christians where everyone is welcome. No exceptions. Find out more about Central at LexCentral.com. This episode was produced by me, Aaron Austin. Thanks to everyone who joined in, and thanks to you for listening. Join us tomorrow for another step along the journey. Thank you.